Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you're having a good day. Got those brackets filled out. March Madness really kicking off by tonight. A lot of brackets have probably already been busted. But good luck in those if you're in them. Glad you're with us today. A lot of ground to cover once again. We are looking forward to talking a little bit later with Mary Kay Thatcher, formerly with the American Farm Bureau Federation, many years uh, working on uh, uh, policy in Washington, D.C., including the Farm Bill. She's now with uh, Syngenta. It's great um, perspective she can give us on the Farm Bill, where it stands, what we may see coming up in it. So Mary Kay will be joining us. We know they're having a big problem in the House Ag Committee over uh, the nutrition part of it, so we'll talk about that. Uh, Chandler Gould will be with us. He's CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. We're going to talk about trade, uh, the possibility of the U.S. getting back into TPP, what wheat growers want to see in that farm bill. Also, Randy Gordon, president of the National Grain and Feed Association, is going to join us to bring us up to date on this proposal that has been worked out to fix the uh, Section 199A uh, tax situation for co-ops. Um, they've, they've come to a, an agreement, a proposed compromise or solution, if you will, grain and feed industry along with the co-ops, but there's some Democratic resistance to it. So we'll talk about that with Randy Gordon in a bit. But I want to start off today uh, looking back at a hearing that was held on Capitol Hill yesterday concerning tax extenders, and especially we're going to focus in on biodiesel. Joining us again is Kurt Kavarik. He's the Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks for joining us again. That was a very interesting hearing yesterday and really a chance for the biodiesel industry uh, to say its piece and and get its message out there to members of Congress. Yeah, that's right, Mike. Glad to be with you again. Glad to uh, give you a recap of yesterday's hearing. So House Ways and Means Committee held a hearing uh, to discuss the tax extenders uh, that expired at the end of 2017. There were four panels, more than 20 witnesses, and we were represented by Cal Meyer, who is the COO of uh, Ag Processing based in Omaha, a a, a significant agribusiness with a lot of interest in, in biodiesel. So I think we were represented very well. Our message was, I think, very well received. We had a lot of support from uh, both sides of the aisle on the committee. Uh, and that, that made the case that, hey, this, this tax credit is important for this business. It's important for um, diversity of, of fuels, for the ag industry, for jobs, for economic growth. Uh, so I, I, think, I think Cal did a fantastic job uh, demonstrating the, the benefits of our tax credit. I thought it was interesting in some of the questioning about how broad a reach and impact does the biodiesel industry have, and almost like is this just a uh, niche market or is it just part of the country? And it was a chance to tell the story for biodiesel how it impacts the entire country. That's right, and that's a great aspect of our industry that you know, at least on Capitol Hill, I don't think many people maybe recognize, and maybe in the, even in the Midwest that we've got enormous diversity both among our, our feedstocks. In geography, I mean, we've got we've got producers in Washington, California, Oregon, and throughout the Midwest. Renderers, you know, in in Texas, uh, facilities in the Northeast, we using uh, use cooking oil. So, and to demonstrate this, we uh, you know, on the dais yesterday, the members that spoke in favor of this tax credit came from, you know, obviously Nebraska and Illinois and and the Midwest, but also we had a, a representative from Pennsylvania and one from Washington that spoke to the benefits of, of the industry and the, and the fuel to the environment and to, to our economy. So I think it was very well received and, and a lot of great support uh, among the members that, that came to the hearing yesterday. Kurt, for our listeners that are not familiar with the biodiesel industry and in particular the, the biodiesel tax incentive, explain what that is, what it does, and why it's so important to the industry. So the biodiesel tax incentive is a, it's a $1 per gallon federal uh, tax credit. Uh, that's existed since about 2004, 2005. It's been, it's ha- it has lapsed almost as much as it's been in place. So while it's meant to drive uh, the industry and provide the incentive for the entire uh, supply chain, both from the from the grower, the producer of the fuel, the marketer of the fuel, the blender, and then ultimately the customer, it's 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 a meant it's meant to provide that little bit of certainty. Uh, for everyone in the supply chain to know that there's going to be a demand for the fuel so that they can build out the infrastructure and, and ensure that, you know, provide the, 
the, the product to customers. Um, and so it, it's been on again, off again, and that's, that was part of our message yesterday at the hearing from, uh, from Mr. Meyer was, you know, this, this industry has an enormous opportunity for growth, but the federal government just has, has been a little bit uh, lackadaisical on providing that certainty that they need, both through the renewable fuel standard and through the tax credit. And our message was, hey, you know, give us a little bit of policy certainty for a, a handful of years, and we'll demonstrate the, the growth and the, and the potential that this industry has. What you have done in the years, especially when you have the tax incentive, and as you mentioned, it's been off about as much as it's as it's been on, and currently not on right now, right, Kurt? I mean, it, you've got retroactive to last. You've got last year now, but you don't have this That's year. That's right. It, that's right. So in February, it expired at the end of 2016. In February of this year, Congress decided to extend it retroactively, just for 2017. So even though they extended it for a year, we're still expired. And we—that's the message that we've been making to policymakers on, up on Capitol Hill. And I think we—we we have champions on the Senate and the House who immediately after they extended it just for 17 said this makes no sense. You know, you can't—you can't do this to these are businesses that depend on certainty for operations. And if your goal is to build out infrastructure and build out the market for this fuel, it—you're it, shooting yourself in the foot by by doing a retroactive extension that that only covered 17 so here we are our message is let's get 18 extended and then we'll work on a long-term you know certainty and durability of the credit to provide everybody that certainty they need to grow so what is the so next we're, step we're, 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 the, the next step is we're, we're hopeful we've got champions both in the house and senate who are trying to get our message the message to leadership that for for 18 this has to be extended you know we're looking at every possible vehicle that might might come up you know the omnibus uh, funding bill that has to fund the government here on March 23rd. There are a couple of other vehicles that we're hoping to hitch a ride to. But you know, anybody who anybody who has an interest in soybean farming, biodiesel production, you know, likes to use biodiesel, I would recommend you know call in your representatives and tell them your senators and say, hey, this 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 good policy needs to be, get extended. It needs to be a higher priority. We need to get it done sooner rather than later. Yeah, you got to find the right vehicle. This is usually part of another piece of legislation, right? Another package. That's right. It's going to ride along with something much larger, like an omnibus appropriations bill or, or an infrastructure bill or a FAA bill, uh, something like that, yes. Well, it sounds like uh, yesterday was a good chance for you to really get the message out, and uh, it sounds like you also have some good support, hopefully enough to get this thing done, because you've proven, your industry has proven what it can do with this uh, tax incentive, and it accomplishes what it was meant to do, that is uh, promote and grow a domestic uh, fuel industry in this country. So good luck, Kurt. Thanks for the update, Thank and you, uh, we'll stay in touch, okay? Always good talking to you. Appreciate it. Have a good day, Mike. All right. You too. Kurt Kabarik, he's the vice president of federal affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. A recap of the uh, hearing held, held on Capitol Hill yesterday when it came to tax extenders, and in this case in particular, uh, the biodiesel tax incentive. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about this Section 199A tax situation that uh, was part of the the tax reform bill, and it wound up giving uh, much more to co-ops than they were asking for and some unintended consequences that are they're hoping to address now with a compromise solution, but there's some resistance to it. We're going to talk about that with Randy Gordon, president of the National Grain and Feed Association. That's coming up next. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen? That's a given. Responsive nitrogen? That's amazing. That's ESN. 
Go to SmartNitrogen.com to learn more. Looking for a proven herbicide trait system this upcoming season? Look no further than the Liberty Link system. With a 2-plus bushel per acre yield advantage over Asgro Roundup ready to extend. And superior weed control. Growers across the country are seeing phenomenal results. In fact, 97% of growers reported good to excellent performance. Ask your authorized seed dealer or retailer about the Liberty Link system. The highest rated soybean trait system in 2017. Learn more at LibertyLinkAdvantage.Bear.us. Always read and follow label instructions. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Well, this Section 199A situation has been, it's been a wild ride. I mean, before the tax reform package was passed, it looked like the, the concern was that co-ops would be at a disadvantage. And then after the tax reform package gets passed, all of a sudden they got way more than they asked for, things they didn't really ask for, and uh, turned out to be a lot of unintended consequences, concerns that this would be too much in their favor and be a disadvantage for others in the marketing chain. So now there are attempts to try to cr go back and correct it, and it looks like there's been a proposal hammered out that some think would be the way to fix it, but there's some others, Senator Schumer and others, have uh, come out against. So let's try to sort through all this. Joining me now is Randy Gordon, President of the National Grain and Feed Association. Randy, good to talk with you again. You too, Mike. Okay. Tell us about this um, this fix that you've come up with. I know Chuck Connor with the Farmer Co-ops uh, was with us earlier in, uh, a few days ago, and he was telling us that, that you were working on this uh, solution. Tell us what you came up with. Well, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to uh, have this conversation with you and your listeners. Um, we've been working really intensely uh, with uh, the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives and Chuck over the last really three months, uh, since the mid part of, uh, well, two months plus, uh, since the mid part of January, to try to look at different con uh, concepts for uh, doing two things. One was to replicate as closely as we could the tax benefits as you mentioned earlier, that uh, accrued to farmer-owned cooperatives and their farmer patrons under the previous Section 199 as it existed back in December, but then also to restore that competitive landscape of the marketplace as it existed at that time as well. So the tax code didn't provide an incentive for farmers to do business with one type of company or another purely because it was how it was organized as a business structure. So uh, we've been working very intensely with in that uh, context as well as within National Grain and Feed. And we have about an equal number of members that are cooperative and private companies. So we have a, a pretty balanced approach to this, we think, and convened our own set of tax experts to look at different concepts and solutions. Uh, and we did work with the tax writing committees of both the House and Senate, uh, the House Ways and Means Committee staff, as well as Senate Finance Committee staff to embody the concept we came up with into legislative language. And and that is what uh, was unveiled on Monday night on Capitol Hill, 
and uh, discussions are ongoing right now uh, to try and see if that can be incorporated into uh, the omnibus spending bill that Congress must enact by March uh, 23rd in order to keep the government operating. So again, how does it fix this problem? Well, what it would basically do, it really does try to go back and replicate uh, how 199 uh, operated in the in the past. So, uh, farmer patrons selling uh, their products to a co-op of which they are a member uh, would be able to claim a deduction equal to 20 percent of the net business income received on those sales, subject to either the wage or, or uh, capital limitations uh, that are in the tax code. And then they, they, that deduction would be reduced by an amount that's uh, equal to what the farmers would have had to forego in the previous Section 199. Uh, and that's the lesser of either 9% of the net income from those sales uh, to the cooperative or 50% of wages attributed to those sales. And an important feature for uh, the cooperative members is that this would re, uh, uh, restore the ability for uh, farmer cooperatives to pass through uh, uh, some of their deduction to, that they could take at the at the co-op level uh, to their farmer patrons uh, uh, if they wish to do so. So it preserved that kind of uh, of uh, solution as well. But it really gets rid of this uh, disparity that existed in the past uh, or in the current law, uh, where uh, farmers uh, doing business with a farmer cooperative was able to uh, deduct 20% of gross payments received on sales of those products. Uh, while those selling to a private or independent business uh, could only deduct 20% of their net business income after uh, subtracting out expenses. And the analysis really showed that that provided anywhere from a 5 to 20% or more bu- per bushel uh, preference uh, to do business with a cooperative. So a lot of work to get you back really to where you were. Yeah, it really was. And and as you indicated in your, your, your opening uh uh, this, we are told, was not the intent of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, uh, uh, that they were really working hard to just preserve the benefits that they rightfully had under the old Section 199. Uh, and there, there was a lot of uh, back and forth. Uh, and part of the problem, Mike, was that we needed to try to structure the solution uh, so that it fit within the context of the new tax law with the corporate tax reduction uh, and just the new structure of Section 199A, the way it's written. So. We, I think, feel pleased that, you know, no uh, legislation is ever going to be perfect, and it won't work in every situation, and there'll be some winners and losers on both sides. But but we do think it restores uh, the type of competitive balance that existed uh, under uh, the old 199. And we're frankly very hopeful that Congress will move uh, to incorporate this into the uh, the omnibus spending bill, because businesses are talking about restructuring uh, or closing down or uh, uh, delaying capital investments that are needed to serve farmers. And we think getting this resolved quickly is really important to preserve uh, competitive choices for farmers in the marketplace. We're talking with Randy Gordon, president of the National Grain and Feed Association. And you touch on something there, Randy. There's some there's confusion right now, the way it is, and concern. Uh, I mean, there could be uh, some negative impacts felt throughout the, the countryside if this isn't fixed there is there would be and and in fact some of that contingency we've already adverse uh reactions and and implications uh, to this mike and and uh uh people need the certainty that this is going to be fixed and we believe uh uh strongly that it can and will be uh the secretary or excuse me uh, under secretary Ibaw, uh uh, from USDA issued a statement yesterday supporting uh, this uh, solution. We we think the American Farm Bureau Federation is also uh, uh, galvanizing support for the solution. But uh, farmers need certainty, and agribusinesses need certainty. And as this growing season starts, and we see a lot of farmers wanting to sell uh, based on market uh, movements uh, that happen from time to time right now, uh, they need the certainty of knowing how the tax code is going to affect those sales. And uh, so it's it's very important, and and we do see some private companies that are either talking about shutting down or converting into cooperatives. Uh, we've even seen some situations where there are reports that ordinary citizens, not farmers, uh, would try to organize themselves as cooperatives, like lawyers and dentists and other professions, just to take advantage of this tax code change, uh, which would just absolutely balloon the federal deficit and 
and be an unintended consequence even beyond what the agricultural unintended consequences were. So it needs to be fixed as soon as possible. And when I saw that you had come to this uh, solution with the Council of Cooperatives and, and working with the other groups and members of Congress, I thought, all right, this, this, this makes sense. You saw the problem, you went in, you worked and got it fixed. And then I see where Senator Schumer started talking against it uh, almost immediately. But now we're seeing where um, uh, Senator Thune is telling our friends at AgriPulse that he's optimistic they have enough Democratic support to uh, overcome and override any of the objections by Senator Schumer. What are you hearing? Well, that's certainly our hope, and and we've got to commend Senator Thune and 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 Senator Roberts, Senate Ag Committee Roberts, uh, both of whom serve on the uh, Senate Finance Committee, as well as Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa for their huge efforts, uh, and Senator Hoven as well from North Dakota uh, in trying to to get a solution crafted and and proposed. Uh, we do think uh, we had a, a group of about forty of our members in town yesterday, Mike, to do some visits on Capitol Hill, and many of those visits were to Senate Democratic offices, uh, and we do think uh, there's a, a desire by a number of Senate Democrats. They recognize this problem, too. They want to preserve uh, choices for farmers in the marketplace uh, as to whom they do business and have those decisions uh, made by uh, what the dif- different businesses are offering the producer, not by the tax code. And so we are very hopeful of get- getting some good Democratic support. I think Senator Schumer right now is trying to extract uh, a trade of some sort uh, with the uh, Senate leadership uh, to give something to the Democrats uh, in exchange for doing this. But we believe this warrants a solution on its merits alone. And, and again, uh, uh, Democratic senators and members of the House of, from the Democratic Party that we talk to also don't want to see a tax-driven consolidation of agribusiness in rural communities where it, it reduces farmer choices in terms of whom they do business with. So I think from a small business, rural America, uh, rural economy uh, aspect, uh, uh, we, we don't need fewer businesses in rural America. We need to preserve and enhance the ones who are there now. All right, Randy, thanks a lot for the update and explaining this for us, and hopefully uh, get this situation uh, resolved here very soon. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you again. You too, and thanks for the opportunity, Mike. Take care. Randy Gordon, president of the National Grain and Feed Association. So hopefully they'll have the votes to get this uh, Section 199A situation uh, resolved. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk Farm Bill. Mary Kay Thatcher, long time with the American Farm Bureau Federation, is now the senior lead for federal government relations for Syngenta. Longtime observer of uh, Farm Bill negotiations. We'll get her thoughts on where this one stands and prospects for getting it done. What might be in it? That's coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the price comparison tool. The price comparison tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare equipment by price, make, and model. Using the price comparison tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at Fastline.com. Tired of yesterday's missed weeds becoming today's big problem? Get rid of missed weeds for good with Liberty, the herbicide that puts an end to missed weeds, guaranteed. Plus, Liberty is proven effective on tough-to-control and resistant grasses and broadleaf weeds. So choose Liberty, the simply better solution for superior weed control, backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Talk to your retailer to learn how you can qualify for the Liberty Guarantee. Always read and follow label directions. Time for a market check on Adams on Agriculture. From the American Ag Network, I'm Rusty Halverson. Grain and soybean futures were higher in the overnight session, although that rally has cooled off into a mix. In the weekly export sales report, exporters selling 2.6 million metric tons of corn above expectations, bean sales over 1.3 million tons at the high end of estimates, wheat sales, though, below expectations, Egypt's General Authority for Commodities issuing an international tender late on Wednesday to buy an unspecified amount of milling wheat or soft wheat for delivery between April 25th and 26th. Most of that business has gone to the Black Sea region recently. In the wheats, we've got minus signs an hour into the trading day. 
eight and a fraction lower in Kansas City wheat, dime and a fraction lower in Chicago wheat, Minneapolis spring wheat, a fraction to a penny and a fraction lower. In corn futures, we're trending two and a fraction lower. May contract down two at 386 and three quarters. Resistance and a short-term top seen at 395 and a quarter. Chart support on May corn lies at 387 to 385 and three quarters. In May soybeans on the downside, Wednesday's break below the March 12th low at 1032, seen as a weak sign on the charts. Next potential support lying at 1018 and a half. May soybeans an hour in, six and a quarter higher at 1038 and a half. For livestock at the Merck, in live cattle futures, we are trending 7 to 35 cents lower on this Thursday. Feeder cattle steady to 37 cents lower, 42 to 95 cents lower in lean hog futures. Outside markets, Wall Street, Dow up 73, S&P up a point, crude oil up 33. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your planned purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Over the years, I've had a lot of conversations on farm bills with Mary Kay Thatcher, long time with the American Farm Bureau Federation, now senior lead for federal government relations for Syngenta. Mary Kay, good to have you back on. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Congrats on your new job. Thank you very much, and to you as well. Well, let's talk about this farm bill. Uh, or Colin Peterson uh, told us, kind of broke the news here with us a few days ago, that there was a big impasse between Democrats and Republicans on uh, food stamps and the proposal the Republicans had. And as far as he was concerned and as far as Democrats were concerned, it was a deal breaker uh, on this uh, farm bill. So they've got to get this resolved. And we know that Chairman Conaway's working on that, kind of delaying things to try to get this fence mended. Uh, how serious, though, is this situation as far as getting this next farm bill done? Oh, I think it's very serious, Mike. You know, it's a little different than when you think back on the 2014 farm bill because then we had an amendment that said let's take $20 billion out of the $750 billion budget for nutrition programs, and that went down on the floor 195 to 234 uh, Now they're not talking about taking money out because they're saying there will be people who probably won't be on the rolls, but the money would be reinvested in um, programs to help people get to work, et cetera. But it still looks um, uh, to the Democrats like it is indeed forcing people off the rolls. And so whether it's actually money saved or whether it's major philosophical policy, I think they're going to have problems. So at the moment, um, you know, Mr. Conaway is having to not have the markup on the committee next or by the committee by next, uh, on next week. And then they'll go home for a two-week break. So we'll probably be somewhere uh, at least about the second week in April before this could come up in the House Ag Committee again. And this kind of opens that door again, that whole conversation about separating the nutrition title from the commodity title. And this will give those that want that uh, more ammunition to use, I guess. Well, it will, you know, and, you know, I think that is a possibility of something that's going to happen. You know, certainly that won't happen on the Senate side, and so hopefully the two portions could be put back together, but we would prefer that didn't happen. I mean, I think it's best. There's such a good working relationship when you think about the groups between the farm groups, the conservation groups, the nutrition folks, rural development, et cetera. And uh, so it would be great to see that 
not happen. But, you know, the fact is um, it is hard, whether it's the House side or the Senate side, um, to get the people way on the right and the people on the left to want to come to the middle on this kind of thing. I, again, if I take you back to that uh, vote of 195 to 234, it was lots of Democrats that said, hey, $20 billion cut nutrition programs is too much. And a lot of Tea Party Republicans that said, hey, it isn't nearly enough. So finding that balance where you have the middle of the road people that can support it and have a majority or in the Senate have 60 votes is really difficult. Yeah, because as much as we like to think or think back to good old days when agriculture seemed immune from those, uh, uh, you know, extreme positions on both sides, we've seen that creep in more and more to the farm bill debate, haven't we? We absolutely have. I mean, things continue to change. And I think, Mike, one of the scariest things for me is going out to meetings and having farmers say, well, just get rid of that nutrition title. You know, um, the bludgeoning wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't a $950 billion bill. It was only $200 billion and on and on. And, and, you know, we really have to double up on our educating farmers about the fact that without the nutrition community, there aren't enough farmers and ranchers and people interested in conservation and rural development and specialty crops and those kinds of things to be able to put a farm bill through the house. It's just too urban. So we have to keep that coalition together. We're talking with Mary Kay Thatcher, Senior Lead, Federal Government uh, Relations for Syngenta. All right, Mary Kay, uh, Ranking Member Peterson also says, he, you know, if we're going to go to 30 million acres on uh, CRP, he thinks they can pay for that with the change in the county rental rates. So what are you hearing on that? Well, I think that is something he's talked about for a while. You know, he originally wanted a lot more than 30 million acres, and he was at the 40 million plus uh, line. He has dialed it back to 30 million. Um, I can't see any more than 30 million being in the final bill, um, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think there are other ways that will be discussed, at least when you get to the Senate side, about uh, how many times should a farmer be able to enroll in CRP? We got, I think it's 7 million acres in the CRP right now that's been enrolled at least 30 years. So questions are starting to be asked uh, about, you know, what's the right length of time? If we've already paid for land uh, at least once in 30 years, do we continue to have people in it for that reason? So there are other ways that could be looked at to come up with that savings, but I strongly suspect that uh, when this bill is finished that we will have more than the current 24 million, somewhere in the 24 to 30 million acre range. And, of course, the big question is always crop insurance, and we hear congressional leaders say, you know, we're going to protect crop insurance, but then you have the president's budget proposals, and he wants changes and cuts. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, I don't think crop insurance is in trouble at either the House Ag or the Senate Ag Committee level. I think we've done well at convincing those members just how important it is. But without a doubt, um, you know, once we get over this nutrition hurdle, the absolute biggest target is on crop insurance, primarily because it's a large pot of money. And I think... It probably is not going to be so much about really changing the program specifics. It's going to be more about a can a farmer have a $40,000 payment limit on the uh, amount of premium subsidies he gets on it. You put an adjusted gross income limit of whatever it may be, 250000 500000 You know, if a farmer exceeds that, you no longer qualify. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to hit at the harvest price option. So I'd say... It's Katie bar the door when we come to both the House and the Senate floor consideration. ARC and PLC, uh, some have called for some changes, some uh, adjustments there. Do you think we'll see some changes? Well, what I'm hearing from the House side is probably not a lot of changes in Title I at all. I mean, maybe some of the things like uh, what is the administrative county and do you use RMA numbers or do you use national ag statistic numbers, those kinds of things. But actually trying to uh, make the ARC program a bit more attractive so that farmers really do get an option to choose between PLC and ARC, I'm not hearing much on the House side. On the Senate side, I think there will be um, some efforts to do that. I don't think they have uh, weaseled it down yet to what those will be. But I do think farmers pretty much everywhere are continuing to say, we want a, a, a realistic choice. We we want it to be somewhat equitable so that we can really look at, do we just care about the price or do we care about the revenue? So that will continue to be a big issue. Obviously, 
The big problem with it is it costs money. And so where do you get the money to be able to do that? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk getting it done. Um, some are saying it could be next year before it gets done. I, I find it interesting those talking about, you know, when cotton and dairy were addressed in the budget, that that kind of took the the urgency out of getting this farm bill done right away. Do you agree with that? Is that what happened? Well, I think we would be in a world of hurt if we had not gotten help for cotton or dairy. Um, for, first of all, they, they need help and they need it soon, especially the dairy industry. Um, but secondly, you know, then if we had to put additional money into those programs as well as looking for more money for uh, the ARC program, potentially conservation programs, et cetera, that would have been even more difficult. Uh, I think there's probably two schools of thought. I think there probably are people that largely cared about cotton and dairy who can now look at the farm bill and say, yeah, well, I'd like to get it done, but it's not huge. Um, I think you're going to have other people that will say, absolutely no way we will move forward. But one of the cautions I would I would say, Mike, is that I was really optimistic about passing this farm bill in a, in a relatively short time frame, maybe six months ago, because I was hearing so much from farmers, and they were so engaged on, hey, let's talk about, you know, what's going to be in the farm bill and what needs to be done. And now it's like people have gone silent. I mean, I know they're they're inputting into the renewable fuel standards. They're inputting into uh, don't don't get us out of NAFTA, Mr. President. But they also have to remember that they got to call their congressman and say, hey, <laughs> the economy's not so good right now. We need this farm bill done. And I think if members of Congress aren't hearing that, then there is a chance that they just say, oh well, what the heck? Maybe we don't have to do it this year. Because it has been interesting. You're right. There, you know, we were talking about getting it done at the end of last year. Then it was going to be here early this year, and now not sure uh, it could be into next year. It seems like every time that things start kind of heating up on the farm bill, something else comes along to kind of push it back to the back burner. Well, and, you know, we continue to sort of kick the can down the road on things like the omnibus that is now due in another week, and we still don't have the answer for how we're going to move forward like that. So, it, you know, whether it's tax issues or it's, funding issues it just seems like we don't settle it once for and for all we kick them down the road so we have to keep coming back and spending a tremendous amount of both staff time and time on the floor and so that makes it more difficult for other kinds of pieces of legislation i mean i think mr conway and mr Com- uh mr uh, uh roberts have both been really smart about saying you know we're gonna consider the farm bill when we can probably go to the floor the week after we consider it because we don't want it to hang out there so they're somewhat at the mercy of the leadership of the House and the Senate saying, when am I willing to give you floor time? Yeah, there's a lot of strategy involved here. We've seen it not go well in the past, so they want to make sure that when they do present it, it's ready to go and try to avoid some of those past problems. Absolutely, and that's really critical. So we'll see what happens. Always interesting. Uh, a lot, uh, A lot on the table here for this farm bill even with what has already been done. So we'll see. It looks like we'll, we'll see, uh, look after Easter now and see what happens with the House. And then, of course, the Senate will be, uh, Pat Roberts has talked about more April for their timetable, so we will see. Mary Kay, just like old times, good to talk with you again. Take care. Good, good to talk to you, Mike. All right. Mary Kay Thatcher, Senior Lead, Federal Government Relations for Syngenta. What do wheat growers want to see in that farm bill? And what about the chances of the U.S. getting back into TPP? What do wheat growers uh, think about that? And, of course, what about the tariffs? A lot of concerns there over trade. We're going to talk with the CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers, Chandler Gould, joins us next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four. 
seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive your free DVD videos and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,250 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD videos and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. My pillow now offers 50% off their four-pack special. That's two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. 50% off MyPillow's four-pack special. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until the same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen, that's a given. Responsive nitrogen, that's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. Tired of yesterday's mist weeds becoming today's big problem? Get rid of mist weeds for good with Liberty, the herbicide that puts an end to mist weeds, guaranteed. Plus, Liberty is proven effective on tough-to-control and resistant grasses and broadleaf weeds. So choose Liberty, the simply better solution for superior weed control. Backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Talk to your retailer to learn how you can qualify for the Liberty Guarantee. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Thanks to Mary Kay Thatcher. Interesting conversation on the Farm Bill. Always like her perspective on what's going on and what are the uh, key issues and uh, uh, timing on the Farm Bill. So we'll see how it all plays out. We're going to talk some Farm Bill now from the wheat perspective. Chandler Gould joins us, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. Chandler, how are you? Oh, we're doing good today. I can't believe you had my friend Mary Kay on in front of me. I'm <laughs> supposed to go in front of her. I'm kidding. <laughs> hard to hard to follow her, you know. I know, I know. I'm already <laughs> said. I'm already uh, in, in a trap. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Kay and I've been friends for 
20 years. Well, what do wheat growers want to see in this next farm bill? Well, you know, just like many of the other commodities, we need to see a strong safety net that is uh, equitable across all the commodities, um, whether that's in Title I uh, with ARC and PLC. Uh, we're also looking for a higher reference price. You know, something we've done here at NOG is we've used um, the Economic Research Service and looked at the six different classes of wheat and averaged out that it roughly cost about $6.84 a bushel uh, is what our uh, cost of production is. And when you look at the other commodities' cost of production and then where our PLC price is at 550, uh, wheat continues to lag behind and has fallen behind in, in, in every subsequential farm bill uh, before this. So we are still asking for a, a higher PLC price. But then, of course, uh, we are also looking at the ARC program for moving from NAS to RMA data. Uh, looking at some of the uh, yield bands and averages and the way they're going to work with that program just on some administrative uh, parts of it. But, uh, you know, wheat's hurting. Um, we're still at about 328 a bushel uh, nationally right now from coast to coast. And, uh, you know, with the way trade is looking right now or not looking, however you want to state that, uh, wheat's in a very, very tough situation. And, and we were thankful to see uh, dairy and cotton got something in the in the continued resolution that takes some financial pressure off the farm bill. But when you look at the other commodities and the top three, uh, wheat by far is hurting the most. Just today I got pictures in from Kansas of dead winter wheat and, and, and Texas and Oklahoma uh, where the drought has taken everything out. And so uh, um, we're continuing to go up to the hill uh, this week and next week. But uh, Conservation uh, is clearly still important. Crop insurance is our number one risk management tool that we continue to push for. But something that wheat actually pushes for even more than I think the other major commodities is ARS and agricultural research because we are so much more dependent on land-grant universities and their research to help us develop new varieties. So uh, it's a lot of stuff out there. Hopefully we can get this bill done before September 30th. Well, Chandler, you bring up a good point on research because so often that's the, the budget cutters want to get the axe out. It, they go after research, and, well, you pay a price for that in the long term, don't you? You do, and, you know, I, we, we do research everywhere else. Can you imagine? Let's, let's, let's take it off of food because uh, wheat is a food grain. What if we just stopped doing research on cancer? Or what if we stopped doing research on Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease? That's something, unfortunately, my granddad had. What if we just stopped if, if we cut research out from that, but yet – but yet we don't seem to have a problem or our legislators don't have a problem cutting research out of how to produce more food more efficiently and more effectively uh, to produce healthier food so that we can continue to not only feed our own families but, but to, uh, you know, to continue to grow crops in, in this, um, I don't know what you want to call it, diverse weather patterns. I mean, you, you, you have to be careful what you call it these days. I call it extreme weather. But uh, – they seem to re, cutting research in agriculture doesn't seem to be a problem for many people, and it really should be because if you really look at the base of a lot of your health issues, it goes back down to your diet. So we should be putting as much research in into agriculture as we are into healthcare. Talking with Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers, you brought up trade, your concerns there, whether it's NAFTA or tariffs, whatever it may be. These are uh, anxious times, to say the least. You know, I, I, um, we're on radio, so I'm, I'm going to have to pull back my uh, words a little bit. I, can't, I cannot express to you how concerned we are about these tariffs on aluminum and steel. Uh, wheat is a very vulnerable product that we export to many countries that cannot feed themselves, like Japan. Wheat is a very high-end uh, uh, product that, 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 that they want, and then other countries – um, that are exporting steel and aluminum, and we're very concerned that, just like China did with sorghum, that wheat could be the next to be retaliated against. So these tariffs, you know, that doesn't balance out the trade. That balances out or fixes one component of trade, but causes issues in other areas. So therefore, we really haven't reached our goal of striking a fair trade deal. Even more importantly, the fact uh, that uh, NAFTA negotiations are slowing down, you know, I think we've, we've even got more pressure now to finish NAFTA to demonstrate that the United States is serious about international trade, that we are serious about coming to the table on free trade agreements, 
and that we are serious about continuing to negotiate. When we pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, let me just give you a quick example. Uh, Japan is by far the most valuable market for wheat. Uh, they import roughly about 6 million metric tons of wheat a year. Right now, the United States has about 3.2 million metric tons of that market. So we have over 50% of that market. Once TPP goes into effect, we will then put the United States at a $65 per metric ton disadvantage between Canada and Australia uh, because their tariffs are going to start going down and ours are not. Uh, we have calculated along with our sister organizations, US Wheat, U.S. Wheat Associates, that we expect our share of that 6 million metric tons to drop to about 1.4 million metric tons, which is roughly going to cost the wheat industry about $500 million in lost revenue a year and somewhere around $3 billion by 2028. So TPP and Japan and Vietnam are extremely important to help us get out of this price slump with wheat commodities or with wheat prices and just in a very, very important trade agreement. I've also got some other facts here about job loss that it's going to, that it's going to cause and that we need to urge the president, if he truly wants to help the wheat states, which are in the middle of the country, uh, we're very supportive during the campaign, we need to get back into TPP. Yeah, it's a critical time, especially for wheat, as you pointed out. Already low prices and already uh, production problems with weather challenges already. Chandler, thanks for the uh, update and perspective. Good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Same here. Have a good day. Uh, take care. Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. Well, he mentioned the weather problems for wheat in states like Kansas. We're going to get a report tomorrow uh, from Kansas on that very situation. Hope you'll join us. Have a great day today. Thanks for being with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Fastline.com is changing the equipment buying game. Fastline has just released its newest feature, the price comparison tool. The price comparison tool is the first of its kind in the ag equipment market. It's designed to help quickly compare equipment by price, make, and model. Using the price comparison tool, you can see if an item is below, above, or right at average price for similar equipment. Use this game changer right now at FastLine.com. Looking for a proven herbicide trait system this upcoming season? Look no further than the Liberty Link system. With a 2-plus bushel per acre yield advantage over Asgro Roundup Ready to Extend and superior weed control, growers across the country are seeing phenomenal results. In fact, 97% of growers reported good to excellent performance. Ask your authorized seed dealer or retailer about the Liberty Link system, the highest rated soybean trait system in 2017. Learn more at libertylinkadvantage.bear.us. Always read and follow label instructions. 